in chapter 10, we're going to find more of the response of the people of God when they hear the word of God being read. And we talked, uh, Pastor Jacob talked about that from chapter 8 and their response to uh, to the word of God, how that, that, that God's word just brought such conviction and then turned into such joy. And then last week, the prayer that, um, that the, the, um, the priest led the people of Israel in, a prayer of just confession and repentance. And, and, and now we're going to see that they're going to um, take action, that they are going to sign their name to this covenant. And they're going to enter this, this covenant. They're going to make this commitment based on what they've heard, based on what God has done in their hearts. They're going to put some feet to it, and they're going to take action. So in chapter 10, now those that sealed, so those that sealed and signed this covenant were Nehemiah, the Tershatha. So remember we talked about that term, Tershatha, it's a transliterated word, and uh, it just means he was the governor. Nehemiah was the governor uh, here in Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah signs, and we see this list of priests that sign. We see a list of the Levites that sign. And now in 28, it says the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, or the gatekeepers, the singers, the nethanims, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, Everyone having knowledge and having understanding. So this is now a group of people. They're coming together saying, God has spoken to us. We feel this conviction. We have seen things that we um, have not been doing that we need to do. We're taking ownership. Last week we talked about in this prayer of confession, they're acknowledging that their ancestors didn't follow God and abandon God and, and, and didn't keep their covenant, their end of the covenant with God. They acknowledged that they were pursuit or they were going in that same path. And, and now they're going to say, we're, this is going to change. This is going to change and we're going to sign our names and we're all going to be involved. And, and we see that their whole families were going to be involved in this and they're going to make this commitment. It says that they're going to enter, uh, in verse 28, they claimed to their brethren and their nobles and entered into a curse and into an oath. So the curse, this is just shorthand for they're making a covenant uh, before God. And, and if we don't follow this, there's going to be judgment. There'll be a curse that will come upon us. Many times when they would enter these types of oaths, there would be a sacrifice of some kind of animal. They'd even put some of the blood of the animal on their garment of symbolizing like, hey, if I don't keep my end of this oath, if I don't follow my end of the bargain, then, then we know that this is going to, judgment's going to come from the, this is how serious they took these oaths. These weren't just empty words. And they're signing to it. So what are they, what is this oath? What is this covenant? What is this that they are committing to? Well, first of all, we see this. They are committing themselves to the obedience of God's word. They're going to commit themselves to God's word. It says that they, they made this oath. It says, um, unto the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding, 
they clave to their brethren, their nobles. They entered into a curse and an oath to what? To walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, to observe, to do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his judgments and his statutes. So they're saying this, we are making a public commitment before God and before others publicly saying, first, we're going to follow God's, God's word. We are going to follow God's law. This is going to be a priority, obedience to the word of God. So what's the application for us? And I think it's this, that we would make this same commitment that we are going to follow God's word. We are going to follow the law of God, that God has revealed truth to us through his word, by his spirit, and may we be a people that are going to hear truth and follow truth. May we make a commitment that God's word is going to govern how we do life. We're going to see in, in a few moments how that this, this caused them to look differently on how they did business and how they prioritized their schedule, how they prioritized their life, how they treated other people around them, how they viewed their, 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 their fellow um, their fellow people, that it was going to affect everything. It was going to change them. And this is what the word of God should do. Remember the, the words of in, in the book of James about not just being a hearer of the word, but being a doer of the word. The word of God isn't just so we can gain knowledge and have no theological truths and be able to even argue or debate some of these truths. It is it is given to us so that those truths can change how we live. Now, we're never going to fully live to that perfectly because we're sinners. We're in a fallen world. We've been saved by the grace of God. The Spirit of God is changing us each and every day, hopefully, through the Word of God. But our desire should be is, I don't want to just accumulate head knowledge. I want to live this truth out. And they said, we have not followed your law but that is going to change. We are going to follow your commandments. We are going to follow your judgments, your statutes. So the first thing they say is, we are going. We are going to allow the word of God to change us. May that be our desire. What I One of the things I love about our church is that we, I, I truly believe, we have a hunger to know God's word. We have a desire to understand the, the scripture and in, in teaching through books of the Bible where we can go through as a church on Sundays and then talk through those things in our groups and downstairs in all our kids classes we have such wonderful teachers and, and they're, they're teaching our children the word of God but may we recognize something that what happens on Sunday whether it's up here in the auditorium when we're teaching or downstairs in our children's ministries and classes that we have such great faithful teachers that are teaching our children, may that just be wetting our appetite for all week long. May, may we have a passion to be in the word of God. May we have a passion to be those that have children in your, in our, in, in your home, in our homes. May we be teaching them the truth of God's word each and every week. And that should be our desire, is that God's word would be prevalent in our life, they recognized we haven't been doing this, but we're going to change that. 
And we see, secondly, not only there was a commitment to obeying and following the word of God, but there was a commitment to raise their families to worship God. See, this was an effort of, of everyone was, was, was involved now. It says the people of the lands, they separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding. Basically, they're saying this, everyone that's old enough to understand, they're joining with us in this. And these leaders, these uh, Levites and priests and the people, the, 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 the fathers, the mothers were saying, we are going to make a commitment that we are going, this is going to be a family effort to follow God. May we make the same commitment. May we have the same desire. We talked about at the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, how that the, the, the events of Ezra and Nehemiah, of the uh, rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of the city, the rebuilding of this wall, all of these events, this was spread out over decades and decades. That, that it was going to require more than just that initial group, that it was going to, that came with Zerubbabel years before, that this was going to require the efforts of the entire family, of their children and their grandchildren. Now, what an application for us. May we have this multi-generational vision. And sometimes, I mean, especially like when we look around us at the events taking place, um, you know, we can sometimes tend to think like, oh, the end of the world is here, right? Like Christ is coming like today or tomorrow. And, and while I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with being expecting, and, 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 and once again, I know there's different, um, different views of eschatology and that, but I, I truly think it's fair and, and even good to have this expecting that Christ is returning, Let's be prepared. Let's be busy about the work of God. He's returning. But you know what? Christ may not return in our lifetime. He may not return in our children's lifetime. May we have a multi-generational vision where our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will do the work of ministry and following God and serving God in every aspect of their life. And I think that starts, though, with a commitment now, see, they had not been doing this, but they said, that's going to change. We're going to make this commitment. And what this tells me is this, that no matter where you are and what phase of life, you can make this commitment. Maybe you feel like, man, I maybe have adult children. And more than likely, you probably have some adult children that you're very proud of and maybe some that you're very heartbroken over of, of the decisions that they're making. Now, that doesn't mean you love one more than the other. You probably love them both the same. But just the reality, to put it bluntly, there's some children you're probably more proud of in the sense of the decisions they're making and how they're following the Lord. Maybe there's some children you're heartbroken over the path that they're going down, the decisions that they're making. But, but regardless of the past, you and I can make a commitment that that we're going to raise our families and whether that's influence in our children, influence in our grandchildren, though maybe your grandchildren, it's, it's not that you have the responsibility to raise them depending on the situation, but you have influence over them where you're going to say, we're going to teach them to love and follow God and worship God. 
And maybe you have a lot of influence. Maybe you have a little bit of influence. But regardless of the past, regardless of what you have done or haven't done, that you're going to commit to following God's word and raising your family to follow the word of God. May we make this commitment. And this will require a lot of sacrifice, a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication, but yet it is worth it. And they're saying, look, we have not done this, but this is going to start today. We are going to take this responsibility today. And for some of you, you maybe never had that, but you're saying this is going to start with me. This is going to change by the grace and power of God, the, really the, the trajectory of our of future generations, that we're going to raise our children differently. We're going to raise our families differently. May we have the same commitment. Thirdly, they were going to make a commitment that they were only going to have holy unions. Verse 30, it says, we're not going to give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. Now, this has absolutely nothing to do with race or ethnicity, but it has everything to do with, with not marrying unbelievers, with not having unions with people that were strangers or foreigners in the sense of they didn't worship and follow God. They said, we're going to make this commitment. This was part of the problem that we read about in Ezra. This is part of the, their problem now is that they had unholy unions and they were marrying people that weren't believers. And we see how that worked out in their history. Remember their kings, the kings of both Israel and Judah, where you see that it seemed like they had the same problem, that they would take wives who were not believers. Look at Solomon, the wisest man that we read about. But yet what happened, his heart was turned away by the wives that he took that were not believers. They turned his heart to worship idols and may we see the the principle for us that we also see repeated in the new testament is don't be yoked up with unbelievers paul talks about that don't don't have unions and it doesn't mean we shun people that aren't saved or that we don't spend time with people that aren't believers no we're called to be the light of the world we're called to do life and ministry and to be around people that don't know the lord so that we can influence them, so that we can, we, can, we can be a light to them. But our closest, most meaningful and deepest relationships should be with like-minded fellow believers. We need to teach this to our children as well. If you're here, now if you're here and you're married and your spouse isn't a believer, that doesn't mean you divorce your spouse and leave your spouse. No, Paul explicitly deals with that in Corinthians. He says, no, you don't leave. You, you're going to be the one that God's going to use to bring your spouse to faith in Christ. Right? And, and, and we see that in, in Corinthians. Paul talks about, hey, you, your witness, your testimony is what God will use to bring that unbelieving spouse to faith in Christ. But for those that are single, may you make that commitment that not only are you not going to marry an unbeliever, you're not even going to date somebody that's not a believer. You're not going to date somebody that, that isn't following the Lord, that doesn't love God first and foremost. And if they love God how they should and honor God how they should, I guarantee you they will love and honor you how God wants them to love and honor you. They said, look, we're not going to make a, or we're, we're not going to uh, marry unbelievers. We're not going 
to go down this road of these unholy unions. And I know that for those that are single, this is a challenge. This is difficult. And partly because it seems like in our culture there's this stigma almost or this mentality of, oh, you're single, there must be something wrong with you. What's the problem? What, why, why aren't you dating? Why, what's taking you so long? And it's, the reality is it's worth waiting for the person that God has for you, the person who's a believer to where you're going to have a meaningful relationship that's centered around Christ. And they said, we're not going to have these unholy unions any longer. We're not going to give our daughters to the people of the land. We're not going to take their daughters for our sons. We're going to not have these unholy unions and relationships. Fourthly, they made a commitment that they were going to put God first in their schedule and their finances. It says, look, if the people of the land bring anywhere or victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, if, 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 look, if they're bringing things to try to trade and sell on the Sabbath day, we're not going to have any part of it. That day is the Lord's day. And, and not only that, they said, we're going to leave the seventh year, uh, the exaction of every debt. And so this would be the year of Jubilee. Every seven years, they were to let the land rest and forgive the debts. And, and so the principle is this, right? That today for us is a little bit different than, than what they were required as far as following the Sabbath in this way. For us, the, the application, the equity of this law is, hey, we're going to put God first and honor God in all of our business dealings. That we're going to be generous with what God gives to us. Towards We're going to see they're generous towards the work of God, towards the ministry that God had called them to do. And that, look, you can, theoretically, they could have made a much bigger profit by trading and buying and selling on the Sabbath. They could have made a lot more by not letting the land rest, by harvesting it every year. But no, this was a picture of the Sabbath, and this was very symbolic for Israel of, of, of their worship of God and following God. And the point is that we, as the people of God, need to honor God first and foremost. That we need to be honest in our business dealings. Oh, there's ways theoretically that, oh, you could make a lot more profit by being dishonest. We talked about this earlier in Nehemiah, that there was a, a big problem going on, and it wasn't that people were being wise and shrewd and investing well. No, they were doing it at the expense of, of other people. They were taking advantage, knowing full well that that the loans they were giving, they would never be able to be repaid so they could foreclose on people. This was intentional. They were purposely, they were purposely taking advantage of the poor and taking advantage of others. And they said, Nehemiah's put a stop to that, that we're not doing this any longer. Well, here they're saying, we're going to make a commitment that we are going to honor God by keeping the Sabbath. We are going to honor God by being generous towards the work of God. We're going to follow God's ways. It says, we made ordinance, verse 32, we made ordinance for us to, to charge ourselves yearly with the third part of the shekel. What? For the service of the house of our God. For the showbread and the continual meat offering and the burn offering and the Sabbaths and new moons and the feasts and the holy things. For the sin offerings to make an atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. 
And, and we cast the lots among the priests and the Levites and the people for the wood offering to bring it to the house of our God after the houses of our fathers at times appointed year by year to burn upon the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law to bring the first fruits of our ground, the first fruits of all the fruit of the trees year by year unto the house of the Lord. They're saying, look, the first fruits of, of our harvest, the first fruits of these things we're going to give. Well, that's risky. Because you don't know how well things are going to keep going. But they're saying, no, we're going to make this commitment where God's going to get the first fruits. We're going to trust that God is the one that's given us everything. And so we're going to give back to him. We're going to honor him. And so they're, they're doing that through verse 37. We'll bring the first fruits of our dough and our offerings, the fruit and all manner of the trees of wine, of oil unto the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God. And the tithes of our ground unto the Levites, that the same Levites might have the tithes in all the cities. Martillage and the priests, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites. When the Levites take the tithes, and the Levites bring the tithe of the tithes unto the house of our God, to the chambers, into the treasure house. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the corn and new wine and oil unto the chambers. Where are the vessels of the sanctuary and the priests that minister and the porters and the singers? And we will not forsake the house of our God. So it's saying, look, we're going to give generously to support the work of God. To support all that's going on in the temple. We're going to honor God. We're going to keep the Sabbath. We're not going to do business on the Sabbath. We're not going, uh, we're, we, we are going to let the land rest every seven years. We are going to be generous so that the work of ministry can go on. This is a statement. This is a commitment that they are saying God comes first. And we're going to prove it with our time, our schedule, our priorities, and our finances. So once again, the application for us today is this, that God should be first in all of our business dealings. God should be first in our time and schedule. God should be first in our finances. And, and how do we do that? Well, I think we do that by living generously with what God's given to us. All right, we see this throughout Scripture that we are expected to be generous to those in need. And what's happening here is they're being generous towards the ministry and work of God. So I shared this back several weeks ago, talking about how that because of the generosity of our church, we're able to do a lot of ministry that we otherwise wouldn't be able to do. Showed you some pictures of when we served lunch across the street to our Genesis staff. And, and, and just even like this last month, all that we as a church have been able to do towards some of our missionaries that had some needs, um, towards even helping people within our own community, our own congregation with the, their some, some, some needs that arose of, of helping people with paying rent that was due that couldn't pay it. And they're working hard and, and, and it's just circumstances beyond their control. And so as a church, because of the generosity of our church, we're able to meet some of those needs. Helping people with getting vehicles fixed so they can get to and from work. They can, so they can get their kids to and from school. Helping people who are homeless have a place to stay and give them a meal and provide those things. And I don't say that to pat ourselves on the back. I just say that as a point, as an illustration, because of the generosity of our church, not only are we able to pay the necessary bills that we have, but we're able to be generous 
to those in need. And we try to be wise and vet those things so that we're not being wasteful um, and so that we truly are helping people, not being taken advantage of. But the point is this, that because of the generosity of our church, we're able to do some of those things. We're, We're able to bless people in need. We're able to do more work of ministry. This event that we're going to have on Saturday, Lord willing, for the, the trunk or treat, we're going to be able to bless our community with just a fun time of, 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 and, and, and feed a whole bunch of people and have a fun time for our community. It'll be a nice just community event. And you know what? We're not charging any admission. Everything has been paid for. There's no charge. It's free. Why? Well, because of the gener- Somebody paid for it. Because of the generosity of the people of God. We're able to do more ministry like that. And so, I'm not patting myself on the back, but let me pat you guys on the back. We as a church are collectively contributing so that we can do things like this. Well, what is that saying? Well, we're trying to honor God by being generous with what he's given to us, right? Because it's not, the question really isn't about the, you know, the tithe and the 10%. No, it's everything we have is a gift from God. And here's the thing, we don't own any of it. We might think we own houses and cars and we might think we've got a lot of possessions. No, no, no. Those aren't ours, they're God's. He's given to us to manage them. So let's manage it well. Let's be wise. Let's Let's save money, let's invest money so that ultimately we can be more generous to those in need. So that we will have the opportunity to be more generous towards the work of God. Well, they made this commitment saying, yeah, maybe theoretically we could make a lot more by working on the Sabbath, by not letting the land rest. But no, we're following God. We're going to honor God. God has told us to do these things and he's our priority. Our time, our money, our schedule, we're going to prioritize it. And, and you know, we know they hadn't been doing this. This was part of why they went into captivity for 70 years, because they weren't keeping the Sabbath of what God told them to do. They were rebelling against God and not doing it. They said, this is going to change. We are going to honor God. We are putting God first in our schedule, in our finances. And then lastly, it says that they are gonna, they're not going to forsake the house. We will not forsake the house of our God. Now, all those verses, I think, led up to part of what that meant was they were going to meet the needs that they had uh, to be able to worship God collectively and the, the Levites and the priests and all of these things that needed to be done. But I think a practical application for us is we can honor God, but by prioritizing the worship of, of us coming together as believers coming to a local church, worshiping God collectively together, lifting up our voices in worship and song by worshiping God through serving our church, worshiping God through serving our community. We can worship God in that way. And they said, we are going to prioritize the house of God. We're going to be willing to sacrifice and we're going to be willing to give. Why? Because God's house is going to be a priority that this is going to be part of what we do. And I think for us, once again, practically speaking, how can we make God's house a priority? Well, 
We're not commanded to go to a temple and make sacrifices in, in that now, right? Christ came and he was the final sacrifice for our sins. But we as a church, we come, we gather together on the Lord's day. We worship together with one another. We worship him every day of the week through our lives and through our song, through our prayer, through our worship of God individually. But the church gathers every week. We come together. We are worshiping together. We are lifting our voices up in song and praise as one praising God. And that should be a priority in our life. So how, how do we make this a priority? Well, I think there's several ways, but just showing up, being with God's people is a way that we can worship him by just being here. Like what happens when you come and you gather? Well, it's an opportunity to worship God collectively as a church, as a body. It's a way that you encourage fellow believers just being here. Like, I know you encourage me by just being here. Now, honestly, whether there's 20 people or 200 on a weekend, I'm going to enjoy being with the people of God and give it my best to teach and preach whatever passage of scripture that we're in. But you know what? It is encouraging seeing people having other bodies in the building and talking with one another, praying with one another, singing together with one another. And you know what? Just showing up today, you're making God's house a priority. So good job. You're here. Showing up, serving together, whether that is meeting a need within the body, whether that's encouraging someone or praying with someone, whether that's handing out a bulletin, whether that is, is helping in kids' ministry, whether that is making coffee or putting donuts out or whatever, it, that it, the fact of serving, of coming together with the body of Christ, and we're going we're gonna to encourage one another. We're going to sing together with, 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 with one voice. We're going to serve one another. And then giving, sacrificing. I already talked about that. Because of the generosity of our church, we're able to do more ministry. And let's just be honest that ministry, it does take dollars. That's just the, the, the practical, the very practical side of things that we're able to do more ministry. It's the principle behind why we as a church felt like this building that we're really excited to get in is going to be a great tool for us. Well, the church is never about a building or four walls to gather in, but it's a tool where we feel like we can welcome more people in our community, where those that don't know the Lord can come and hear the word of God. They can come to know Christ as their Savior. There's still a lot of people within our, within our, within our community, that, and we're not necessarily like going to try to you know, pull people out of a church if they're already connected to one. But there's a lot of believers in our community, they're not connected with a local church. Now, I know, I know, they should be. We, we hope they are and they will be, but there's just a lot of different circumstances, a lot of reasons for that. Maybe for you, you kind of found yourself in that same situation. It was like, Maybe you had a bad experience at a church, or maybe just the events of life, just where you got away from being connected to a church and to a body. And, and we want to have a place where it's going to provide more opportunity for that. So practically speaking, this is a great opportunity as we are, as God is providing the resources for us to get in that building, to where we can use this as a tool to prioritize 
prioritize the gathering of the church together, where we can meet those needs of the people that God is going to put in our path. May we make these commitments. The commitment that we are going to follow and obey the word of God. That we are going to raise our families to worship and serve God. That we are going uh, to not have unholy uh, unions. That we're going to honor God in that way. That we are going to prioritize our schedule and our finances to, to what God would have us do. That he comes first and foremost, and then that we're going to make God's house a priority. Let's pray.